This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of Bloomsbury Girls by Natalie Jenner. Bloomsbury Girls is a compelling story of post-war London, a century-old bookstore, and three women determined to find their way in a fast-changing world. Grace must work to support her family following her husband's breakdown in the aftermath of the war, but she is torn between duty to her family and dreams of her own. Brilliant and stylish Vivian has a long list of grievances, the biggest of which is Alec McDonough, the head of fiction. And ambitious Evie was denied an academic position in favor of her less accomplished male rival, and the bookstore is where she plots revenge. Vivian, Grace, and Evie and their complex web of relationships, goals, and dreams are planning a future that is richer and more rewarding than anything society will allow. Award-winning actor Juliette Stevenson narrates this heartwarming audiobook from the internationally best-selling author of the Jane Austen Society. Get Bloomsbury Girls on Audible, Libro FM, or wherever you get audiobooks today. On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we are thrilled to be chatting with Maria Adelman. Maria is the author of the short story collection, Girls of a Certain Age. Her work has been published by Tin House, N Plus One, Electric Literature, Literary Hub, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, The Three Penny Review, Indiana Review, Epic, and many others. She has been awarded prizes by the Baker Artist Awards and the Maryland State Arts Council, and her work has been selected as a distinguished story in the best American short stories. She has an MFA in fiction from the University of Virginia, and her debut novel, How to Be Eaten, is out now. So welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Maria. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we have a lot to talk about today, um, but we'll start just by having you tell our listeners sort of the elevator pitch for How to Be Eaten. How to Be Eaten reimagines classic fairy tale characters as modern women in group therapy for trauma. And so it tells the stories of five different women. And one of the women is our modern fairy tale character who is a contestant of a show very much like The Bachelor. This was just a mashup that is is irresistible. It really is. It's such a good hook. Um, and then we talk a lot about complicated women on this podcast, and you gave us quite a few, as you've already been describing. There's Bernice, the one-time girlfriend of billionaire psychopath Bluebeard, Gretel, who questions her memories of her childhood kidnapping with her brother, Ruby, who was accosted by a wolf and now wears him as a coat, Ashley, the winner, as you just mentioned, um, of a Bachelorette-esque dating show, and Raina, who holds her story until the very end. We'd love to hear more about your development of these characters, who came first, who spoke the loudest, who was the most challenging, who did you have to kind of wrestle onto the page? Uh, Anything that you'd like to share about that, we'd love to hear it. It actually started uh, kind of way before I started working on the novel. I 
did these little flash fiction pieces about what happened right after the fairy tale ended. So I wrote a lot of pieces with characters that are not in the book. So they're, I think maybe the first one I did was Snow White. And at the end of, I think it's the Grimm's version of that story, um, her step, Snow White's stepmother is forced to dance in hot iron shoes at her, um, at Snow White's wedding. Oof. And then like the last line is like, that Snow White lived happily ever after. And so I really was like wanting to explore the space between the traumatic wedding story and the happily ever after. So I did like a, um, a little piece and I drew out some feminist themes and um, I did that with a bunch of stories and they were more set like in the past kind of. And then I did Gretel's dreams and I did these nightmares and it was kind of, there was these supermarket details and modern details. And that's maybe the first inkling I had that this could be something bigger. Yeah. I love that. And then how did it grow? Did it just, they wouldn't leave you alone or <laughs> did someone say you need to be doing something with this? And how, and how did you get the idea to put them together? Well, interestingly enough, when you write a short story collection, you often promise to write a novel next because short story collections traditionally <laughs> don't sell very well. So it is best to go out with your short story collection and say, I have an idea. And so I was like, what's my idea? And so I was like, okay, this is my idea. So it was actually... I mean, that's an, an unromantic version of <laughs> how you came up with a novel idea. But yeah, I was interested in the women's stories. I think Ruby, the Little Red Riding Hood character, was an early kind of like voicey woman that I liked, enjoyed <laughs> writing. She's, she's sort of annoying and ridiculous, but I think um, she has a lot of redeeming qualities too, yeah. so... Mm-hmm. She was one I, I focused on at the beginning. Um, and I started with even more characters. But to make it a novel, I had to, like, just do fewer. So five. I ended up with five. Yeah. yeah. Annoying and ridiculous. I, I, I love it. That's actually <laughs> the perfect place to start. Um, so, you know, you mentioned it is a modern retelling of fairy tales. And that's not necessarily a new concept, but you give it such a fresh hook and you come at it from original angles that sort of read like these true crime stories that people are so obsessed with. And I love that you centered it around therapy, a group therapy for these women who are survivors, really. And you allow each of them to tell their stories. But then through the group aspect, you also see how together you know, they just might be able to save each other. And I'd love to hear more about your decision to bring these women together through group therapy, which, like I said, I thought was a great, a great hook. Well, I mean, at first it was just a narrative excuse to bring them together. I'm like, why would they meet each other? Like what settings would they meet each other in? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought how perfect it would be for a modern fairy tale retelling because this is a lot of how we deal with trauma today as therapy or a trauma group. And I wanted to take their traumatic stories seriously while also kind of questioning narratives about trauma and women's trauma and how we consume women's trauma in the form of true crime or reality TV. And so at the same time as I'm playing into those tropes, like the true crime tropes and like, you know, our interest in women telling all, 
I wanted to play into those ideas, but also kind of question their place um, in in society. So, yeah, and as I'm thinking specifically of the Bachelor tells all that episode that comes like kind of before the final rose. It's such a staple of the. But really, I mean, it's positioned as their story, but really, it's not. It's like they can't come off rude they can't come off shrill they have real limitations and all they're actually talking about is this guy this asshole who like was dating 40 people and that they were like you know they have to be just enough wounded and it's a really fine line it doesn't feel like a powerful platform for which they're they're telling their story and I think you do a really good job at at kind of jabbing at that um, and making us look at it like, really? Is this really the women tell all? And are, are they just telling about this guy? Is that all that their lives revolve around? Um, so these women all have their own individual stories, but there is a lot of commonality. Uh, obviously, what comes through very clearly is that each one has been traumatized first through their encounters with these witches, wolves, psychopaths, and then perhaps even... I don't know. I can't. I'm not going to compare, but also again through public opinion. And again, as we've been talking about, the fascination with true crime, reality TV, the 24 7 news cycle, there really has it's narrowed stories. As much as there's more platform for it, it's really narrowed stories. And you're the hero. Are you the villain? Who are you? I need to know what character box you fit into. Um, and it's. I don't know. I, I, I'm always championing more stories, but sometimes it's more like it has to fit in one cookie cutter box or it's not worthy of being told. I wanted to know why you wanted to explore this angle and what you were hoping people might look twice at. Yeah, I mean, when I started, I just thought I wanted to explore, you know, the the aftermath of the fairy tale trauma kind of. And when I put it in a modern day setting, it was clear to me how these stories would be received today and how they would be retold. And so that came a little bit after the original idea. And then I really ran with it. And yeah, I just really wanted to look at all these ways that we claim to give women voice while also commodifying their trauma or like horrific things that happened to them. And, um, yeah, there's something like voyeuristic about our craving to hear the stories. And I mean, I think the book implicates me and implicates the reader because you read to hear like what happened and they know Mm -hmm. that they have to tell like what happened, what was the trauma. And so I sort of decided to play with that. Yeah. Like you think about, or I hope you think about when you read it. Oh, am I? doing sort of what the, yeah. the media is doing about how am I consuming these stories? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that definitely came through. I, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about Will, uh, the group leader. And as you write, the only man, and I'd love this passage early on where you're describing him. Uh, you write, he does seem attentive. The women think as Will scans the circle, stopping to acknowledge each group member, tiny personal check-ins punctuated with encouraging smiles. His teeth are a tabula rasa of whiteness. When the women look at them, they each see something different. 
Bernice recalls the bone-white inlay of a bright blue dresser. Ashley sees the glint of her own engagement ring. Gretel sees hard candy winking in sun. Raina sees her husband smile, all veneer. Should the teeth be a tip-off? After all, they have already laid their fortunes in the hands of the most obvious psychopaths, billionaires and reality TV producers, metaphorical witches and literal wolves. Perhaps the women should wonder if something is amiss, especially since one of them, yet to arrive, had already made a fairly substantial error with regard to teeth, which is just (laughs) so good, so well-written, and so ominous right there at the beginning about Will. And, you know, we know that all of these women have been in some way hurt by men. And from the very start, the reader, like these women, wonder if you can trust Will. And so I really wanted to hear about your development of Will and maybe what you wanted to explore with respect to gender dynamics. Well, when I thought of Will, I don't know how much I should give away of the narrative, but when I thought of Will, I thought of him kind of like the host of the group therapy sessions. And... You know, the perfect teeth are just a little bit symbolic of his personality. He's asking questions, he's probing, but he's like a little bit blank. And in some ways, like a therapist is supposed to be blank and reflect back what you give him. But yeah, why is it one guy leading the group? We wonder. I don't Mm want to give too much away. No, I know. I I know. I know, and I knew that was a tough uh, question without giving away any spoilers, but it's just such a good um, setup here for for Will. And like you said, he does have this persona of a lot of these game show hosts or these like whatever these, like like on The Bachelorette, like the guy, the one who, you know, looks like the nice guy with the nice white teeth. And here he's like, just, you know, open up, tell me your stories. And you just know that there's like, what's lurking. Yeah. (laughs) It's just excellent setup. And it's not just Will, it's also the the people that they're taken by. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, there's always a little bit of hindsight is 2020. Yeah, I should have seen the signs. But then it's also sometimes that's appealing. I'm thinking of Bluebird and uh, a, a beard and his kind of over the top persona. And you're like, okay, yeah, in hindsight, maybe that's a red flag. But it's attractive. It's interesting. It's, you know, something to be drawn to. Of course, you can't possibly know how bad it's going to get. But yeah, it, there is a lot of the nuance of what attracts us versus what then feels like a red flag. <laughs> like, yeah. is it danger? <laughs> yes, danger. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, your bio includes work as a hotel reviewer, product tester, copywriter, teacher of creative writing, all while sailing around the world on semester at sea. There seem to be two themes that stand out for me there, travel and writing. So I wanted to know when you wanted to be a writer, when you knew you wanted to be a writer, and how that lens kind of colors your, your traveling and, and or incites your traveling. You're like, I need, I need more content. I got to go somewhere. Is it adventure, curiosity? For me, I do both of those things. It's often escape, um, something different. So I was curious where about for you. Yeah, I kind of have like a a reverse journey with travel, if that makes sense, because 
I mean, when I decided to be a writer, I don't know, I was always interested in writing. Um, I, right out of college, I got a full-time job working at the corporate headquarters of a clothing company. I was like, I cannot be in a cubicle for the rest of my life. So I applied to an MFA program just so I could write for free because some of them are paid programs. They're, they pay you. Um, so that was the whole goal there. And then I took freelance jobs so I could have freedom to write uh, my own stuff while also having some income. And so one of those jobs was teaching on semester at sea. Um, you got free housing, you get free food, you get a little bit of money and you get to see the world. So I did that just to, you know, have a place to stay, have an income. <laughs> it wasn't really about the travel. It just ended up that that was the job, um, which great. And then suddenly I had like experience traveling. And so I started writing, you know, product reviews for travel products and um, hotel reviews. So that kind of happened backwards, um, not out of an interest in travel, just out in, of an interest in uh, supporting myself as a creative writer. That's fascinating. Although it seems like such, I mean, I know you're saying it kind of just happened, but I've never just happened to be able to teach at semester at Z, right? It's, you know, the certain opportunities come to you and I don't know that's the one you jumped at. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting, but I like that you said it was kind of backwards and you said you always wanted to be a writer. I mean, I always liked writing and I always thought about it. And um, ultimately, there's a lot of other creative pursuits that I really love, um, both like handicrafts and like TV, movie, making little movies and things like that. And writing is just the cheapest and easiest of all of them. It's <laughs> right, because like you're by running. yourself. You can just do yeah. it. Just start writing. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just, you don't need anything else you just yeah. need something to write with um and so you know there is a narrative about writers that they like must write or that if you can be anything else you should be something else and I don't really I don't think that's true I am a writer I enjoy writing I need to be doing something creative but writing was the thing that I was able to do with the resources I had. So, you know, that's how I ended up there. <laughs> but I did, you mentioned the crafts and I did read that too, that you like complicated crafts. And I'm, I, as one who can't do any crafts, I'm, now I have to ask like, what, what does that mean? What does that entail? What are your complicated crafts where you channel that creativity? Yeah, I've like always got something going. I got really <laughs> obsessed with, um, making like physical books, not writing the books, but just making them as art objects. Um, I had big, maybe I'm still in a pom-pom making phase. Um, what? What kind of pom-pom? Yeah. yeah. You know, like out of yarn, you can make okay. pom-poms. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and actually, so... I got stuck in Denmark during the pandemic, which is where I now live. 
and I got stuck there for Christmas and I had just been like making pom-poms during the pandemic. So I like bought a tree online and the whole thing was just, I had Christmas ornaments ready made and it was just <gasps> decorated in pom-poms. Per- oh my gosh. So your <laughs> whole tree fun. had your self-made pom-poms as the balls? Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Well, so, yeah, you're actually, it, seriously, um, so you're actually leading into my next question, though. You mentioned that you got trapped in Denmark uh, during the pandemic, and you wrote a great article for Lit Hub about it and your experience and what you learned from it about yourself and about writing this novel. And you talked about the frustration uh, that you were experiencing at first of not being able to learn Danish and about the progress of your book. And you recounted a conversation with your partner that I wanted to read from the article because I think it's so... Good. You said to him, um, you said to your partner, maybe I should stop trying things I'm clearly failing at. I said to my partner that night, you don't fail at a marathon when you're still up and running on mile 13, he said. But I suck at Danish, I said, and the novel. And he reminded me that he knew plenty of people who'd lived here for years and hadn't bothered to learn the language and that there were people who said they'd always wanted to write a novel who never did. And you said, functionally, those people are the same as me. I said, we both can't understand Danish and we both haven't written a novel. (laughs) I don't know why you're always so shocked that you're not finished with something that you're obviously in the middle of, he said. (laughs) What if I'm always in the middle of it, I asked. I don't know. Maybe you'll still get something out of it, he said. Maybe it's the chance you take. And that, I just loved that exchange. Oh and then you, you ended by saying that you tacked a new quote up on your desk that translated from Danish reads, if anyone on the verge of action should judge himself according to the outcome, he would never begin. And this just seemed like, to me, such wise advice for a lot of things, but especially for aspiring writers. And because there's always these questions, will I ever finish? Will I get an agent? Even if I do, will I be able to sell it? If I don't ever get published, am I even a writer? You know? So what it basically, like you said, what if I'm always in the middle, you know? And so can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and and what it taught you about um, how to just keep going? Yeah. I mean, When my partner said those things to me, I was like, it's so simple, it's so obvious, but it was profound to me because I always wanted to know the outcome, especially when you're working so hard and so long and and sort of risking so much like financially Mm -hmm. and in terms of where your career is going. um, You sort of want to be assured that there's a positive outcome, but you can't be. And you never finish something if you're never at the beginning of it or the middle of it, you know, there's always going to be challenges. And you just sort of have to just keep going with this trust that you will finish. And without really relying on a potential outcome. So my goal was to finish the book. Eventually, but daily, my goal was to keep writing the book. (laughs) You know, and with Mm -hmm. Danish, it was like, keep going to class you will learn more and you will write more. It's just like, if you keep doing something, you will still be doing it mm-hmm. and things will accumulate. So that's a lesson I am still struggling to, to internalize. And is it still a struggle for you or did it click? Did something click? Because I'm just, I don't think anything will ever click for me. It's going to be a daily practice, I guess, in thinking that way. I mean, it is 
it is a daily practice and thinking that way, but now it comes more naturally to me mm -hmm. to be like, okay, now I'm writing, you know. It was such a struggle to get through the middle of this novel. And I put myself through a lot of like emotional turmoil. And I don't know that it really served me particularly well. So yeah, I had to just chill out. And I think I, I have gotten much better at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but then even once you finish the novel, I mean, as I was kind of mentioning, there are all these other steps. You know, it's never just that's a huge thing. And it's an accomplishment. And you got to the end, as you said. But then there's new beginnings. You know, when you want to get published, then there's finding an agent, then there's putting it out on submission, and then all of those things. So did you just have to keep reminding yourself at each of those points, even though you were back in the middle, I guess, at some of them? that. Well, I mean, once I had written the book, it was like 90% of the rest of it is out of my control. That's what I was just going to say. That, that, that's not in your hands then, most of it. Mm -hmm. So I did the thing I set out to do, and I could do as much as I can to help with the next steps, but that's not me and whether that fails or succeeds. I still wrote the book. I still did what I set out to do and what other people think of it and whatever happens is like not my thing anymore. And I, it's not that I'm like, whatever, I no, don't care because yeah. I do, but you have I have to just be okay with that being out of my control. You yeah. have to we like, just, release that You just that said out. this, yeah. Corinne. We just had this conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm good at that part. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's the like, having it affect me before I've even done it. Um, I wanted to ask, though, so this was part of a two-book deal. And mm -hmm. did you um, have an agent when you came out of your MFA? Like, what's the timing of things? You were in your MFA program. Did you meet up with representation there as so many do, um, or what was the timing of things? I did not get representation when I was in the MFA. I had two years where I was just like freelancing. I had all these stories. I had written most of my collection in my 20s. Um, I am now in my late 30s. So um, I public, you know, I send them out to Lit Max and I um, published one in the Indiana Review and an agent contacted me and said, I like the story, are you working on a novel? Um, I think I had said in my bio I was working on a novel because I heard that sometimes agents will contact you. There you go. Um, <laughs> and I, I wasn't quite working on a novel, but I was like, I do have a complete short story collection. So I sent it to her, I signed with her, and she said, you got to have 50 pages of a novel and a synopsis if you want this to have the best shot it can have. Um, so we went out with that. And basically, by the time the short story collection was published, I had written a lot of those like a decade ago, which is, wow. is super weird. It's a, you know, was a long, yeah. long process. Yeah. And the novel was supposed to take less time than it did. And um, yeah, so in some ways, I'm like a late bloomer as a writer. A lot of people get stuff published in their 20s. Weirdly... Yeah. I wrote the stuff in my 20s. It didn't get published until my 30s. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's just how it happened. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, all everything you've been talking about is so fascinating to me. And, of course, I'm interested to know your astrological sign based on I'm like trying to figure it out I'm like I mean of course as if as if that's where we always go <laughs> it is it where is. we always go yeah we do we do but now but yeah. I'm 
I'm I'm not yeah. always intrigued based on what they say because I'm like mm-hmm. maybe it seems very clear to me. You do not seem very clear to me. Although I guess if I was gonna guess, I for sure you're deaf. You can't be a fixed sign. Is all I'm thinking because it there's some cardinal mentality in there. Cardinal signs are Capricorn, Libra, Cancer, Aries, but. Not, well, not I am mutable. a mystery. Oh, There's a clue. Yes. I am a mystery. Oh, we were just talking about enigmatic Scorpios, um, which is, but. Oh, but that's me. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That was there a good go. clue. That was, that a, was good a really clue. good clue. And I was wrong then. She, that's a fixed sign. So I was wrong. Oh. Fast, fascinating. Our yeah. last Scorpio, you were um, surprised. Um, Sasha, you were surprised because that she was fixed based on her career. Yes, but then she, you know, it right. happens. Yeah, 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 sure. There's other things in the chart. So we yeah. always talk about astrology. It's just like a mm-hmm. side interest of ours uh, that we like because we're really interested in a couple of things, psychology, and then also categorizing people not to keep them in boxes because that's actually the opposite of what we want to do but to like just help us build a bet a better picture and so you're free to leave that box as long as I can collect (laughs) them right so I can have something to work with do you relate to anything astrology enneagram we've gotten into a lot of different categorizations or anything mystical is there any of that as part of your life yeah, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I weirdly like know very little about the astrology. I know my just like my regular sign and yep. nothing else, and yep. also not a lot about the other signs. I have dabbled in the enneagram. Is that how you say it? Enneagram. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fun because I also like categorization. <laughs> yeah. And um, what number are you there? Just while we're on a that. six. Oh, a six. I actually kind of know a lot about sixes. Okay, excellent. What are you both? I'm a three. It's it's the overachiever. The, oh, well, okay. they're the they're like the psycho overachiever who has a million yeah, to do lists. Six is like just needy. Afra- they're like, well, they're afraid. There's a lot of fear, and they want safety yeah. and comfort because they have a lot of fear. Yeah. So um, why did I pick this career? I mean, you're absolutely right. Yes. Well, you know, and you're not supposed to look at any of these things, by the way, as good or bad. But of course I do. I'm like, oh, a three, the achiever with no feelings. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not really what you're supposed to do. But Currents is nice. I'm a ch- I feel as it's, it's a helper. It's it's a challenge. A yeah, I'm a two, yeah. which is like everybody's like, oh, the helper. You want to comfort everyone and listen to everyone's problems and but take care of everyone. Yes. But then don't take care, of, care of the helper. Yes, exactly. So. Okay, so sorry, you've dabbled in Enneagram. Yeah. yeah. I interrupted you. Um, the Myers-Briggs, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I what mean, do you, what do you have there? What's your, what's your, <laughs> I am an INFJ. Oh, I'm INTJ. Close. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Very rare for, rarest of all if you're a woman. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, Although a friend of mine I, who is also an INTJ, I think might argue that I'm I. And F J, same as you. And I would argue she is an ISTJ, but whatever. You, you, you um, could argue about these things. I'm very on the line between F and T. And Me when too. you're on the line, you kind of like decide for yourself what yeah, you are. That's right. And so I thought, you know, maybe it's it's the F. F. Yeah. Okay. The okay. INFP mm. is a very like poet writer sign. I would say many poet writers have the 
yes. P instead of the J. Yes. I feel like, wait, what did you just say? So I just had to find mine because I have it saved. But um, I, of course, I knew you're, I was an E. I, I'm yeah, the extrovert. E-S- I knew that part. E-S- E-S-T-J. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm and like, I had to look. That's right. And I'm like, on the extroverted, I'm like, you know, a 99% or something crazy like that. Yeah, E-S-T-J or almost the opposite, except for the J. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you like these two. I mean, this is, we just like, again, not to put people in the box, but it really helps us sort of understand where and people are coming from. It's always a point of commonality or yeah. like, like this is what I can see. And also like, oh, we're the same, but different in this way. And so how does that click and, and kind of work together? I, I just think it's fascinating. Okay. Before we, I mean, we're going to open up everything here. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> what el- I wanted to ask also, what else are you loving um, right now? Any books that you're reading, shows that you're watching that you just can't stop talking about? Because that's something we really love to talk about here is, is anything anyone can't stop talking about, we want to hear about that. Hmm. Okay. What can I not stop talking about? Um. <laughs> Pom-poms. <laughs> pom-poms for sure yeah. this this is um bridges the line between what we were just talking about oh, and good. this is i got super into tarot cards oh <gasps> your Sorry. face is just lit up i yes, know they did. but it really does bridge that it really does and it's the know, one thing the i feel like more writers talk about tarot cards than anywhere else i've heard of and we're like sitting on the precipice of going into it, Kate, I think, but we have. Right. I mean, I have a bo- I bought a book after another interview. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. I actually got a tarot card reader to come to a group of friends of mine, but I still just feel very, not even dabbling that I'm still at the outer edge. So, so tell it's, us. It's a lot. I mean, so I not like, I don't believe that the tarot personally, that the tarot like is telling my fortune in, in any way. And so I sort of like poo-pooed it as like something that I was not really into and it was like a little, you know, not my thing. And then I started just picked up a book about it, a really well-written book. And I was like, oh, these are just pictures and stories on cards that you can use to think about the narrative of your own life. And they're actually have some really profound messages in the cards and they're very open-ended. And so... You know, in undergrad, I was a psych and English major, and I saw them as, like, very connected. And it just seemed like I had been a little bit stupidly closed off to this idea because Mm I, you know, it is sort of sold as, like, a a female parlor game, Mm. like, dated, (laughs) dated term. But but there is, like, a lot going on there, and it's super interesting. And there's some really cool decks. There's the Modern Witch Tarot, which is all-female um cards and uh, they're all female people on the cards and there's like a diversity of women and it really follows the traditional deck with the pictures so it makes it easy when you're learning to read them like to follow the story of each card Mm -hmm. um and when i do it with people i don't say this is your future i say this is the story of the card how do you feel like that relates to you yeah. anyway i'm going on and on no, well that's what we no. love that's what we that's, love yeah and you, it makes sense for writers like you're saying it tells a story yeah. and i do I, I the reason i the one book i do have i bought because an author on here had said sort of something similar and the, the book was 
don't know, like tarot for creative writing, something where it actually ties tarot and writing together. And I remember her saying when she gets stuck or whatever, she just flips, that's her like writer's block break. She just flips a card and again, not to tell a fortune, but get her mind thinking about something else or maybe another direction and it sort of unblocks it. So I don't know, this this might be our time, Corinne. Yeah, I also love how you said that you were an English and psych major and how those go together. I mean, that is exactly what I'm drawn to. And I think we're Kate and I are both drawn to Mm -hmm. uh, with this podcast and why we watch these women's stories, because I do think a lot of who we are is the stories that we choose to tell about ourselves, about other people, about the way our lives are going. And I mean, it's not as simple as just changing the story and then it's changing your life, but there is something to that. There really is. So I think that's really fascinating that you made that connection. Yeah. Um, this is not an answer to your question that we just got <laughs> yeah. way sidetracked by tarot cards, but I do have a question for you guys if you watch The Bachelor. I, I think it's been on for 700 years. I, I don't still watch it. I have certainly watched more than one season I have I have watched more than one season but largely only the beginning when it first came out which as you pointed out is maybe 700 years ago (laughs) I watched but the first few years I watched you know fairly religiously but like most of those things I drop off I do tend to drop off yeah so do you like the bachelor are you still watching I mean I shouldn't yeah it's a terrible (laughs) show And yet I keep watching it. And, you know, sometimes one watches something thinking they're doing it. Oh, yeah, this is ironic. It's a bad show. But it's like, well, you've invested quite a few scenes. That's like a little, you can't really say that. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the four, I mean, they really struck gold with the format, with the, um, you know, how beautiful everything is, the, the scene. And they bring them on these crazy once-in-a-lifetime excursions. Uh, I will say I had a friend who was a producer on the show, and I think I stopped watching it mostly out of when she left. I I stopped watching out of loyalty to her and not um, a real awakening that this was not something I should be consuming. So I will say that. Well, and Corinne, I'm I'm not saying any – I mean, she loves reality television, lots of which some people may be – say you shouldn't be watching but sure why not who why shouldn't you be watching anyway you know totally i do think it is a sort of like sport in a way it's something we watch in real time like you don't usually maybe someone does but you're not usually watching like a basketball season from like five seasons ago you're watching the one happening now you engage in the narrative people are talking on twitter you listen to the podcasts um, you make fun of it together. You think it's ridiculous. Some a lot of episodes are boring. Everyone agrees. Yeah, just like the there's football an game entire, is boring. Nothing happened. You know, there's entire mm-hmm. culture around it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel actually sort of left out of because I don't watch it, and I there's like cultural references that I don't yeah. get. I'm serious because I don't. I, know. I don't watch them. But the rose haven't is so everywhere. Long. Of Rose has infiltrated because it was one of the first of them. Did you ever yeah. watch Unreal? The kind of no, I dark send up that was interesting. I heard about it while I was writing my yeah. book. I 
stayed away from a lot of things that were similar to my book while I was writing it because I didn't want to get too many ideas from other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was it was interesting. At the time, it felt very shocking and revelatory to have someone inside who was sort of inside the Bachelor world to kind of really reveal what was going on. And that also, I think, like kind of turned me off to the show. Yeah. Only... Only just because part of it is the fantasy, as as harmful or wild as it is to believe in that fantasy. Once you see behind the curtain, you kind of can't. It's like not a fantasy anymore. I had to find a different one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> All right. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining us and entertaining some of our questions here. Um, where can people find you? Are you on social media interested in engaging what what we have people on every level of the spectrums? Um, yeah, I'm on social media a little. Uh, my handle is at INK176. That's ink with a K, 176. Um, on both Instagram and Twitter, I'm way more of an Instagram person. I really Twitter's enjoy that. Twitter's um, a frightening place. <laughs> Twitter is, right. I keep going there, but I, I'm afraid of it. Um, and then my website is mariainc.com. That's again with a K. And that has some, you know, info about my books. Yeah. And not and just yours. You share other people's essays. It's a, it's a fun website. It is. Yeah. And it's got your Lit Hub article that we talked about, but they can read the whole thing there. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, thank you so well, much. Thank you. How to Be Eaten is out now. Uh, great hook and, and perfect execution. So thank you. Thank you. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.